17. Ironman Triathlon versus Exodus 90. One of these is harder than the other. Over the past few years, I've attempted two very different challenges. One is the Ironman Triathlon, which I've already podcasted about. The physical test of the Ironman race itself is punishing, but the commitment to training before the event makes the triathlon an immersive and life-changing event. Most days of training require an hour or two of exercise to get the legs and lungs prepared for long-distance swimming, biking, and running. As an amateur, and I'm very much an amateur, my commitment to racing is minimal compared to serious athletes, yet finding time to pursue an hour or two of exercise requires that fitness be elevated to a high priority in the day, and in my last episode I talked about that priority of things with the five F's. But with a full-time job and family, time is very precious, so I'm sometimes lucky to have an hour to sneak away for exercise. So even with the clock looming over every choice, I enjoy charging out the door to run or drive into the pool to get a half-hour swim completed. A sense of accomplishment comes with ticking off these blocks of exercise. Plus, there's the kicker of feeding my vanity as fitness feels good. Even when doing long bike rides or runs, the physically exhausted aftermath also feels good, in quotes, as it acts like a purge or a cleansing. Exhaustion allows my love of food to come out of hiding, too. Burning calories, lots of calories, that justifies, in my rationalizing mind, overeating and shoveling food at my face, at my face, like eggs, toast, watermelon, and, of course, cinnamon toast crunch. These are a few of my favorite things. The bait of the Ironman race was the challenge that it presented, and having watched videos in the 1980s where athletes were nearly dying to cross the finish line, that made it enticing. Strange, I think, isn't it, that suffering is attractive? But for a good laugh, there was a Cliff Bar ad about what it's like at the start of a triathlon, where uh, a man was attempting to swim in the water while his friends were hitting him with oars and pointing air horns at his face and yelling and shouting. That's kind of what it's like. But those images of extreme exhaustion appealed to me, just like military ads from the Navy and Marine Corps appealed to me as a teenager, as the hook for both the Iron Man and the Marine Corps is the challenge and the honor, especially the honor that comes with the association of the name and logo. And Iron Man definitely has a very good logo. So it was this badge of honor that I was really after in pursuing the Ironman, though it took me some time to realize it. And I'm not alone in that. If you've seen many people who have completed the Ironman, they get the Ironman logo as a tattoo on their leg or arm. I did not do that. At the beginning of this year, a different type of challenge came to my attention through a friend. He didn't recruit me or try to lure me since he wasn't going to do the challenge himself. He only mentioned... Exodus 90 as a point of interest, where a group of men commit to a spiritual exercise of self-denial and fraternity and prayer. This Exodus 90 uh, is a very involved in denial. <laughs> no TV, no social media, no video games, no porn, including no masturbation, no snacks, no alcohol, no unnecessary phone usage, and no unnecessary purchases. 
Okay, so that's the self-denial part, which is very intense by itself, especially for a food monster like me. But there were a few other key facets of this program that made it quite different from other diet and detox programs because they are all over the place. You can find diets everywhere you look online. What Exodus 90 also had were these five things. One, a daily hour of prayer. Fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays, that's number two. Three, exercise on at least three days a week. Four, weekly meetings with the group. And number five, cold showers. Cold showers, yes, that's the part that really interests many people. And all of this for 90 days. So all of the self-denial, plus the prayer, plus the fasting, and cold showers for 90 days. That's a lot of self-denial and discipline, but these fasting elements weren't the real hook of the challenge for me. The hook, I thought at the time, was the mandatory cold showers. Having listened to a book with a very long title, here's the title, What Doesn't Kill Us, How Freezing Water, Extreme Altitude, and Environmental Conditioning Will Renew Our Lost Evolutionary Strength. That was a book by Scott Carney. And that made this whole idea intriguing. The book, aside from having an insanely long title, was centered around cold therapy, and that seemed a hot topic among many modern seekers. This kind of self-inflicted discomfort was right up my alley. As the world tries to remove all discomfort, there seems to be quite a few of us looking for it. Endurance tests of exercise and discipline always sound fun, or so I thought. From quitting drinking, I'd already learned that the self-denial of freedoms is actually the most freeing thing that I ever did. So the funny thing about our world today is that everything is permitted and we are free to do whatever we like. But in turn, we actually link our bodies, spirits, and minds to these freedoms and end up getting stuck in them. And I'm not just talking about drinking. Just watch people with their phones for the most obvious example of modern addiction. Our addiction to pleasure is really an addiction to self, which I am terribly guilty of much of the time, still to this day. Don't let the podcast fool you. Like everyone, I get lost in my phone, just like everyone in the waiting room, everyone at the, at the store, everywhere you look, they're on their phone. And coming off a poisonous election year on social media, I was really happy to set aside all the memes and polarizing articles for a 90-day break. I had already quit social media before the election, and yet it still was infecting my ears and eyes everywhere I went. So a technology detox was a second reason I thought this Exodus 90 would do me some good. So I remember taking a cold shower on the first day of the 90-day program when the outside temperature was minus 10 degrees Fahrenheit. As you might imagine, that first shower was not enjoyable. It was not enjoyable at all. But as soon as I was done, I was awakened and fully alive. Grimacing in cold water for a minute invigorated me. In fact, here's a bit of advice for anyone. If you are having a bad day, or you don't like your current mood, 
I've discovered two things that can instantly change your state of mind. One, take an ice cold shower. Or two, do burpees to exhaustion. Neither of those two things can be done without your mood changing. And both take two minutes or less. You will be altered after either one of those things. The ice cold shower requires an act of will to step into the water. Someone told me to say this phrase before stepping in. Remember, Jesus died for my sins. And at first I laughed. And then I realized it works pretty well, since I considered hanging on a cross and being mocked by everyone to be far worse than enduring a minute or two of cold. Okay, disclaimer time. I did a Navy shower, where you get into the cold water and get nice and wet, and then you turn off the water. Then you soap for 30 seconds, then turn on the water, still cold, and rinse off. So I was assured that this was an acceptable cold shower method, although I'm not sure on whose authority the worthiness of a cold shower can be verified. I guess I'd have to check with the Exodus 90 creators. What I didn't think would be terribly difficult turned out to be the hardest part, by far. By far, the daily hour of prayer proved almost impossible for me. The three parts of Exodus 90 are prayer, asceticism, and fraternity. When joining the program, I was focused on the ascetic practices and hoping to meet some new friends. The daily holy hour did not seem like that big of a deal to me when I had read the list of requirements. I figured I could knock that out each morning easily and not really think about it, kind of like going for a run. But the daily holy hour was the hardest thing I'd done in my life. Truly, it was more difficult than learning to swim. I could not sit and pray for a half hour. I could not sit still and pray for 10 minutes, whether I was kneeling or standing or laying down. And I finally understood Pascal's saying, all of humanity's problems stem from a man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. I thought of those moments in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus scolded the apostles for not being able to stay awake for one hour. I suppose that made me feel a little bit better since they were all saints and even they failed. I could not focus or clear my mind to pray, or not for long, without feeling my phone beckoning me or a book or some distraction calling out to me from the corner of my mind. The daily minimum was 20 minutes and the Exodus 90 book said that the time should be spent in contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer, a term I had to look up since I didn't even know what contemplative really meant in that context. Oh, I could read for hours, but to sit in a chair or kneel and pray for 20 minutes felt like eons of time. So even though it was called a daily holy hour, I was really only required to do 20 minutes, and I was struggling with that. So after the first week of trying and failing at this daily holy hour, I just spent the time reading the Gospels and considered that to be pretty holy, but a group member reminded me that I was not exactly following the guidance of the program, since contemplative does not mean reading. And I knew I was cheating at it because I could not do this meditative, contemplative prayer. And this reminded me of a time when I had a relaxation CD in my car many years before, and I was always irritated by the slowness of the narrator since I just wanted to 
hurry up and relax already. I shouted at the speaker in the car one day, can you just hurry up? Can we get to the, the main point here? Obviously, I didn't understand, understand that the verb relax required no action and no hurrying. The busyness is the problem. So this struggle continued. I, I would do some daily readings and then try to pray in silence. And I had a few days where I was able to maintain silence for a while, but then distractions would flit into my thoughts and I would try to ignore them only to chase them in the end. And I spent time reading the catechism of the church and as the Exodus 90 program helped guide me to relevant paragraphs and they were suspiciously aware of the problem that I was experiencing. And this is another one of these paragraphs in the catechism that I should have read years ago and didn't. This is paragraph 2729. The habitual difficulty in prayer is distraction. It can affect words and their meaning in vocal prayer. It can concern more profoundly him to whom we are praying. In vocal prayer, meditation and contemplative prayer, all of these problems exist. To set about hunting down distractions would be to fall into their trap when all that is necessary is to turn back to our heart. For a distraction reveals to us what we are attached to, and this humble awareness before the Lord should awaken our preferential love for Him and lead us resolutely to offer Him our heart to be purified. Therein lies the battle, the choice of which master to serve. Okay, that's the end of the paragraph. The one thing that's really interesting in that is that it It said a distraction reveals to us what we are attached to. And that tells me a lot because if I try to go quiet and I can feel something pulling me, then I know that is the attachment. And then as the last sentence says, therein lies the battle, the choice of which master to serve. And that was it, as if plucked from my brain into that book. I would make excuses for why I couldn't concentrate Blaming the light from outside, or the dog needing to go for a walk, or that I couldn't get comfortable. My mind would drift off, even if all was well, and I would take then a sour grapes approach, thinking that, well, perhaps silent prayer wasn't really necessary anyway. And again, the catechism nails down my excuses, showing that I was lacking originality as usual. And as an aside... The idea of my own uniqueness that I was sold as a child has turned out to be disappointingly and utterly false. So here's, here's paragraph 2727. We must also face the fact that certain attitudes deriving from the mentality of this present world can penetrate our lives if we are not vigilant. Christian prayer is neither an escape from reality nor a divorce from life. I was still clinging on to some doubt about the need for prayer. I was doing Exodus 90 to strengthen my faith, yet in reading the daily Exodus verses, I was having a hard time with some of the stories. In the weekly meeting with my fraternity, I would feel a bit like an outsider because certain political thoughts were being made known that didn't jive with my own, and some of them felt like Facebook in the flesh with their opinions on their shirt sleeves. But, and this is the fortunate thing, 
the group leader reiterated that the point of the program was not about politics or memes or any of the garbage and toxic waste you find online on Facebook. I was letting politics bother me rather than focus on the principles. I thought of quitting for a little bit, but I stuck with it. And each Monday, I tried to redouble my effort at prayer. And I began to have small segments of time where I had glimmers of hope, where peace and nearness to God enveloped me. And I wasn't there yet, but I was getting closer. I was still a long ways away. I still am. I was light years away, but at least a few rays of light were hitting me. An understanding grew in me a little as I realized that I could be easily swayed as distractions stole my attention. And once again, I read another paragraph in the Catechism about why this was happening. It's very good about talking about prayer and why you're not doing well at it. This is paragraph 2732. The most common yet most hidden temptation is our lack of faith. It expresses itself less by declared incredulity than by our actual preferences. When we begin to pray, a thousand labors or cares thought to be urgent vie for priority. Once again, it is the moment of truth for the heart. What is its real love? Yes, that's my problem right there in a nutshell. Paragraph 2732. As the saying goes, for where your treasure is, there also your heart will be. So what was my treasure then? Was it the group of Exodus 90? No. Was it the words I was reading? Well, I was trying to make it that. Was it my home? Was it my family? Was it myself? Was it my stomach? Because those were the things that were edging in. Family, self, stomach, all of those things. What are the wants? And all of those are the wrong treasure. Again, they're not bad themselves, but they're not the right treasure. For where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. And the treasure must be God and nothing above it. This is literally the problem of the question put forth in all of these writings and podcasts. For why did Peter sink? He sinks because of lack of faith. When Peter looks away from Jesus, he sinks because he fears losing his life, his self. In essence, Peter becomes the treasure, not God. He is the treasure. Fear is the result of looking away. When God remains the treasure, you cannot feel fear or greed or lust. When you have a radical trust in God, you have succeeded. The moment you forget that trust, you are adrift again. This is very much the same thing that AA was teaching that I wasn't really listening to. But that is the miracle, I realized. There's this old saying, as I first heard from someone with 30 years of sobriety, he said to me, don't quit until the miracle happens. And by this case, he meant don't quit coming to meetings. And he meant don't start drinking again. But what he was saying is don't quit until the miracle happens. And I recall thinking, what miracle? Well, the miracle is that at some point you no longer want to drink. You are just happy without it. And you have a higher power that gives you more than drinking ever could or ever did. 
the miracle is once you have trust in God, you don't want your vice. And this goes for other things as well, I was starting to learn. The miracle is once you have the order right and that God is at the highest, you don't want these other things because they were in the place where God was supposed to be. With faith in Jesus, the miracle goes further, however. It goes way beyond drinking or sex or whatever your cross to bear in this world is. The miracle is that you stop struggling and you forget about yourself. You no longer even want to sin. And that state doesn't stay forever, but you, you get there. You're content to be content because you have all faith in Jesus and all you want to do is give thanks for showing the way. So it always comes down to the self. For me, and I think for everyone, we all have the same love of self problem. One way or another, the self wants to be the treasure. So that's where your heart is. And it's in love with the self, that's the treasure. The instant that the self exceeds God, well, that's when Peter sinks. And this is unavoidable. It's, it's predictable every time. And it happens every time. Around the third week of this Exodus 90, I started reading the Word on Fire Bible, which has commentaries on just about every page. It's like a study Bible. And I started reading St. August, Augustine's Confessions. And that is when I really started to make some headway as those two books, plus prayer, began to jackhammer at my doubt and elevate my faith. The commentaries in the Word on Fire Bible opened door after door to understanding the Gospels. How little I had understood in the Gospels. Second, the experience of Augustine was so eerily similar to my own that I could not fathom he was writing almost 1,700 years ago. Then someone said I should read The Imitation of Christ from Ignatius Press, that translation, and I realized that I'd pretty much found the handbook to the spiritual life. Those three books, I still read them all the time. I did not master contemplative silent prayer, not by a long shot, but I began to have days where I could maintain 20 minutes and then 30, or I could have a fairly legitimate full hour without thinking about sugar cereal or what I had to do at work. When I struggled to concentrate, I would switch over and pray the rosary, which takes about 20 minutes. And I would use a website called the Rosary Center to reflect on a scene from one of the Gospels for each Hail Mary. This proved a very valuable tool as I could do each prayer and picture the image of something for each bead. This method changed the meaning of the rosary from one of rote recitation to something dynamic. I would enter into the world of Jesus and experience these moments. As a kid, my impression of the rosary was a bunch of droning gray hairs in the pews on Sunday before Mass. Now, I was finally understanding why it was seen as a transcendent experience by those with faith. Then I read the rosary book from Word on Fire and found an even more expansive way to do it with more details, and I was starting to see why so many people around the world pray with these beads every day. 
So between the Rosary Center and the Rosary Book and just doing it and actually concentrating on each bead and what I'm thinking about brought it to life actually for me. To get an idea of what I mean, rather than just doing 10 Hail Marys for each decade of the Rosary, I would read a verse before saying the Hail Mary for that particular bead. Then the combination of the prayer plus the image becomes powerful and really slows it down and has meaning. So I was no longer rattling through the beads like a machine. Each bead then has a story and something to contemplate. For example, the first sorrowful mystery, the agony in the garden of Gethsemane. This is 10 beads. It's the first decade. And I would contemplate these things. This is taken directly from the Rosary Center. Bead one, Jesus and his apostles go to Gethsemane to pray. That's Matthew 26, verse 36. Number two, with Peter, James, and John, he enters the olive grove. So you can see each bead, you spend time thinking about this event. You think about them entering into the olive grove. What is it like? What's it feel like? What's the weather? What is it like to be there? What would I be acting like if I was with those four? Probably like, Probably like my normal self. I, I hope not, but I probably would be. The third third bead. My soul is sorrowful unto death. That's Matthew 26, 38. It's just walking through one line per bead of this of this part of the Gethsemane. Number four. Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. So this is where these things start to get powerful to me because in even on bead number four you can imagine Jesus saying kind of saying I don't want to do this do I have to do this this is probably one of the most human moments of Jesus's life when he's praying in the garden having this fear really I mean him himself having this fear and so for this single bead this single Hail Mary you concentrate on that what was it like there in that spot so I won't go through all ten but you just take one line and you take a moment while you say that and you think of this event, this place. What did it feel like? What was the air like? What, did it, where, what was around? And this is really a powerful thing that I'd never experienced. I, was, I didn't know this. Um, there's something also called Lectio Divina where you read and you put yourself into the place. You read it over and over and you experience it. There is something very different about reading this way uh, in, in, as opposed to just reading to consume knowledge and plow through things. So I realized that plowing through the rosary is not how it's supposed to be done. That was a great lesson. I've heard that men don't do the rosary as much as women. And once I slogged through some education on it and took my time, I understood why it is so popular. And it's so old school and so retro that it can't help but be cool again very soon or even now. There's nothing so countercultural as the rosary in the year 2021. It's now like the equivalent of the Sex Pistols in 1977 or Dr. Dre's Chronic album in 1992. You know, holiness is reviled in society, so this is clearly the time to crank it up to 11. Hang that rosary from your rearview mirror 
because Christian faith will be coming back into style very soon. But in reality, Christianity is maybe the only thing that never actually comes into style or goes out of style, which is why it will never die, too. Okay, while I was making progress in prayer, I was still struggling with it. Don't let me fool you. I still find it difficult most days. I also found that the ascetic practices of Exodus 90 became increasingly difficult to maintain as the flesh didn't like being subdued for so long as 90 days is a long time. Fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays, that was more difficult than anticipated and I would crash the next day and then overeat. Having no snacks or coffee throughout the day caused an inner tantrum inside me as the food monster wanted his daily excess of sugar. Some of the ascetic practices were easy for me, but that's because I had already cut out drinking and TV, and porn had always seemed robotic and ridiculous to me, but I know most modern men, many modern men, have this problem as probably much worse than drinking or or TV. Um, that's a major problem in many people's lives because they cannot shake it. It's too easily accessible. And people don't really want to admit that part. But for me, it was the food. The food. That was the hard part. The food I could not purge from my life, the desire for it. Uh, I'd done it with drinking. It took a long time. But I really needed someone to slap the Pop-Tart out of my hand, since that was really my secret crush that was happening. Some kind of sugar treat, you know, sneaking it in the corner. I found the Exodus readings difficult to enjoy and wondered how many ways a tabernacle could be described. The book of Exodus has a lot of very long details, and but I also realized that that's part of the journey is reading through those things and understanding what these things looked like. You have to put yourself in it to understand it. So as Easter was finally nearing, I began to fall off the wagon, failing at various practices, finding 90 days starting to feel more like a full year. I felt like a fraud as I checked in every day with my accountability partner, but then he was struggling too, so we were in it together. And I made it to the end, and it was very relieving to be taking warm showers again. But oddly enough, in the end, the cold showers were the easy part. So in a way, I failed miserably at Exodus 90. But then as I progressed through this program, I realized that this was more challenging than training for the Ironman. The difficulty of Exodus 90 is higher than going for daily runs, swims, and bike rides because I enjoy running, swimming, and biking. I don't enjoy denying myself things that I enjoy, which is kind of the whole point. Curiously, I learned more about myself in Exodus 90 than the Iron Man, as it highlighted where I was weak, both in body and spirit. The Iron Man training is about willing the self to do, to achieve. Even though I am a mediocre triathlete, I received the same finisher shirt as everyone else for the Iron Man, but there's not a finish line in faith and prayer, and there's not really a medal or t-shirt that you get. It's more of a sense of peace, which is much better anyway. Exodus 90 is about removing the self from all things, while Iron Man is about elevating the self. 
removing the self or denying wants and desires, that tested me more than anything I've ever done, more than the Iron Man. In fact, it was so difficult that I'm not sure I want to attempt another one of these little 90-day spiritual exercises because it was the hardest thing I've ever attempted, but it was also perhaps the most rewarding thing. After all, I did feel like my light did grow brighter in those 90 days, and I gained an understanding of where I am lacking, or rather, where I still need to let go of my addiction to self.